1: being joined by my co-host david blackman and we have a great show lined up for you folks we're going to be joined by ron beck who is the marketing strategy director for aspen tech as well as prabhu parasavarti with the wood group of houston but first let me tell you about the latest issue of shell magazine its feature been on the show quite often mike howard president of howard energy it's an interview you don't want to miss please go to shellmag.com And you can learn all about Mike Howard as well as look at the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Lots and lots of interesting articles as well as great advertisers. I'd also like to tell you about an upcoming event that we're having in beautiful Corpus Christi called State of Energy coming up on September 22nd. It is a luncheon. It will be a sold-out luncheon. Please, for more information, go to right now, Shale. that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G, com and get your tickets this again like i said will be a sold out event there is still sponsorships available and that evening we will have a mixer for the women's energy network of south texas that you we'd love to have you join us there too plenty of networking opportunities and plenty of opportunities to grow your business so once again to look at the latest issue of show magazine in which it features mike howard the president and ceo of howard energy and to learn more about the state of energy in corpus christi For September 22nd, go to shellmag.com, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And now it's time to welcome on the editor of Shell Magazine and my trusty co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's a beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. I'm very excited because, you know, we've, we've been out of lockdown for a couple of weeks now, and things seem as though they're starting to go back to normal when you look at companies. And let's just hope and pray that they continue to stay open. But, you know, in our world, oil and gas and everything energy, things are changing always at lightning speed. We have another new announcement from OPEC Plus in which they were discussing that they are planning on increasing their output ever so slightly, probably in a very delicate, balanced way. But my question is, what do you think that this is going to do first with North American shell producers? I'm sure they're worried about opening the floodgates for American producers again, but they also have to do this increase. So what do you think the prices of oil will go to? And is there a possibility that North American shell producers could ramp back up again?
2: Well, I, you know, I think we'll see the shell uh, producers ramp back up over the course of the rest of the year. That's just a given then. Yeah, I think so because prices are, you know, they're above $40 now and probably going to stay, by and large, above that level. And, and a lot of a lot of wells are economic at $40, and uh, so companies can make a little money in this environment. Now, I don't think we're going to see any return to boom times at all, not, not a huge increase of the rig count or anything like that for the rest of this year at least. But I do think companies will, for example, uh, just this week Diamondback Energy announced it was putting all of its shut in wells that it had shut in during March and April back online now and other companies are also moving in that direction but as far as new drilling I don't think we're going to see a ton of new drilling. OPEC Plus you know they did announce they're going to move uh, put a little bit more crude back on the market uh, as of August 1st Mm -hmm. and they think they'll retain that same level through the remainder of this year and so we'll just see how that all balances act with demand returning for crude oil globally. I, I think we could conceivably even end up in a situation by the end of this year where you have a substantial shortage for oil. And uh, that, that could move prices thing. back, mm-hmm. yeah, back That'd above $50 even.
1: Let's switch gears and talk about Ronsted Energy released a report discussing that a lot of the wells – You know, they're indicating that these new wells drilled this year will be the lowest in decades, and obviously, considering the price war that started, then COVID came on top of it, and COVID nineteen continues to stick around longer than everybody had hoped. Uh, Is there really any surprise there that that we were all seeing this? What what do you think on their report?
3: Yeah, no,
2: I I don't think that's surprising at all. I, I. frankly, think there's going to be less drilling than they even imagined there's going to be. They, they're they anticipating 55,000 new wells globally drilled this year, mm-hmm. and that compares to 72,000 last year. It's the lowest in 20 years if they end up being you know right in that area. Frankly, I, I think drilling levels in the United States are going to be lower than anyone anticipates over the last six months of this year. So i you know, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, no one should be surprised by that. You know, we we have been through March and April and May were the biggest single bust we've seen in this industry since the early 1980s, at least. Right. Yeah. A massive impact on the domestic industry here and, and really globally. So no one should be surprised that drilling levels are going to be at kind of a record low.
1: And I think that the consumer also will probably feel it at some point too if they're not already feeling it when we open back up fully again and everything restores back to its normal state so let's talk about joe biden and uh, the campaign trail uh, boy he's sounding more and more like aoc and bernie sanders uh this his plan for energy that was released was was kind of uh, shocking it was sh- you know very very close to the green new deal and we've yeah. had many discussions on this, on uh, how really troubling it is. I, I don't think we've interviewed anybody on, on our show. And by the way, we only interview the very best guests that are experts, right? That's uh, exactly. But no one's agreeing that this is a good plan. <laughs> so what are your no. thoughts? <laughs> what kind of Well, really- I think
2: he just needs to, to bring Bernie Sanders and AOC down into the basement with him. And, you know, they, they should all talk about it together and go through it in great detail. It's awful. It's another $2 trillion. Think about this. $2 trillion just in subsidies for wind and solar power over the next four years. Where's that money going to come from? Nobody even knows. It's, right. it's going to be severe and, restrictions. Yeah, and let's talk
1: about, though, the wind and solar side. So we, you know, we put it in, in, in a way that the, the listener can understand. Wind and solar, yeah. they're great, they're wonderful, but their time is not arrived. They're not admission-free. They also cause problems for the climate. They're very expensive. If the wind is not blowing and the sun is not shining, we have problems. It's not as dependable and cost-effective as oil and gas products right now. And the problem, right. David, again, is okay, we're still propping them up. Well, at what point do we stop propping up these? We don't prop up the oil and gas industry. And so when he's talking about that kind of money and there's no solution for where do we store their excessive energy, it's just like putting money out there, uh, you know, putting an air conditioner on and, and opening your windows.
2: You know, the other part of it is, is we already have incredible amount of subsidies for wind and solar, for electric vehicles, and, and we've made great strides in those areas over the last 20 years. Here in Texas, uh, the amount of wind power here in Texas is beyond compare anywhere else in the world. So I mean, we're, these are the things we're doing here in Texas and in and, and the rest of the country, and, and there are massive subsidies already. And- you reach a point of diminishing returns, continuing to throw more money into that sector.
1: And why is it, though, that there, that everybody just focuses in Washington, D.C. on solar and wind? Is this just big lobbying? Because there's other, you know, alternative oh, resources. Lobbies, yeah. yeah, but there's other great fuels yeah. out there, too. You know, why are we not looking at more, you know, nuclear? Is, is nuclear in this thing? Is, you know, hydro in there? Is, um, what else is in there that yeah. are, are promising alternatives or potentials? Is there anything in there, too, or we're just going to stick with wind and solar?
2: Well, I think, you know, the, the momentum's behind wind and solar in the renewable sector. They don't like nuclear. Uh, even though it's zero carbon emissions, they don't like hydropower. For a lot, of, a lot of different reasons, the same environmentalists who lobby for wind and solar, lobby against hydropower, they want to blow up all the dams and save the fish. And, and so it, it's a real, you know, it's just a situation where all the momentum's behind wind and solar. Mm-hmm. But but there's only so much you can do with those technologies right now, and and not to mention they kill know, a just, lot of
1: birds. These wind turbines, the well, bats yeah, and birds, do. and They're, there's yeah, problems that with ever everything. Never get
2: talked about much. Yeah.
1: Well, we're, mm-hmm. we're, but we're environmentalists, David. Of, so you know we're going to talk yeah. about <laughs> what about the birds? Who's going to speak on behalf of the birds and the bats? And yeah. I'm not knocking any one source of energy. All I'm saying is that. When you're talking about trillions of dollars on uh, forms of energy that you want to invest in that still need to be propped up and still cause problems for the environment, it kind of seems like where are we going with this conversation and why when we definitely have already, uh, you know, tested good, clean, low cost energy is what we have right now. And the consumer should probably understand that that's what's at stake with the Green New Deal as well. And, you know, it's got a lot of problems. Well, and that's,
2: that, that last point is, is crucial because if Joe Biden and Bernie and AOC have their way policy-wise, your utility bills are going to go through, through the, the roof. roof. They're going to skyrocket. Yeah. Gasoline get, get prices mm-hmm. will skyrocket. And, and so it's all ultimately going to be borne by the consumer at the mm-hmm. end of the day.
1: And, you know, the consumer, before we leave, I want to leave a final thought with them. You know, when we do come out of covid taxes have got to increase somebody has to pay back all this money on rebates uh, checks in the mail that we received and then you're going to look at energy too if if biden gets in that there's going to increase this he's going to shut down fracking i hope that the american people understand they're going to be spending a lot more money
4: yeah. here in the near
1: future <laughs> to think about that um,
2: it's, it's right it's, it's not... going to be a lot of a lot of new bills
1: exactly well david that is all the time we have for this week i look forward to having you back next week we're going to course a Get everybody caught up on what's going on in the energy world.
2: Great. I'll look forward to it.
1: Coming up after the break, we will be joined by Ron Beck and Prabhu Parasavarti. So you don't want to miss that interview. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: Hi, folks. Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200-kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O.
4: Farmers and ranchers are the hardest-working people on Earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study.
1: And now it's time to welcome on our guest, Prabhu Parasavarty with the Wood Group of Houston, and Ron Beck with Aspen Tech. Now, gentlemen, thank you for joining us on the show. Digitalization has been a critical part in the upstream, especially with today's uncertain environment. And today's show, we're going to be discussing how midstream companies or mid-sized, excuse me, companies successfully pivot into approach where they're more efficient and more digitally savvy as well. But before I start getting uh, drilling down into the questions specifically for you guys, would you please explain a little bit of the wood group what you guys are seeing what is the problem that is facing the energy industry right now especially with such uncertain times in oil and gas
5: Obviously the the price of oil fluctuating as it is with the disruptions in the supply chain um, you know the difficulties obviously in your economic models and making decisions on your investments you know that is a huge problem you know you've seen a lot of capital budget has been slashed in companies from a a company that supports our operators in, in the service side, you know, the difficulty for us is, you know, when they make these decisions, how do we support them? You know, uh, obviously, the budget cancellation leads to project cancellation. How do you step up? The opportunity side of this is that clients also now want to use more technologies to make their operations more efficient. You know, and, and that's that's an opportunity that opens up uh, on the opex side. But capital expense is something that's lashed, and that's one of the the uncertainty, uh, you know, leads to a period uh, where people aren't going to make decisions. Uh, We saw this happen, um, I think, in
3: 2017,
5: 2016, 17, when the price of oil dropped significantly, and the next year was just a standstill in terms of uh, decision-making, which is likely to happen now
1: okay so we have a lot of uncertainty and now I want to kind of give our listeners an understanding of who you are and how you connect into the specialized field so tell us a little bit about yourself and then of course the wood group which by the way the wood group has been featured in past years on shell magazine but obviously with a lot of changes occurring it'd be interesting to see the wood group currently now in its current form
5: yeah so I you know I I, I came to Houston from India but but 24 years back, um, did my um, Ph.D. here at the University of Houston, uh, and I my first job with, uh, was with a company um, which was acquired by Wood Group uh, in 2004, so I've been in my first job for the last 18 years, uh, enjoying it, um, you know, moved up the organization through various transitions that's taken place. Uh, Wood Group, as you know, has been, uh, you know, in the early 2000s to late 2000s, was Ac- acquiring a lot of companies in the, uh, in the energy corridor, you know, a lot of acquisitions uh, through the growth of the subsea offshore market. Um, and and over the last six, seven years, there's been a consolidation mode. Uh, you know, a lot of different systems put together, single branding. Um, and, and during the downturn, we also, uh, you know, acquired uh, Amec Foster Wheeler, uh, which is a, a great brand. Um, 150 plus years, uh, you know, of a great brand, a great brand recognition. It's part of Wood now, um, and and part of that was Wood to diversify from being a, um, you know, sort of 90% upstream focused company, and today to being uh, today they're being about 50% upstream focused you know, or oil and gas focused The rest is uh, you know sector diversification. So we're in mining now. We are uh, we were in nuclear, although. That's a recent divestment survey. uh We are an environmental, um, you know, so many sectors that wood that wasn't part of. Now, you know, we are part of. But upstream still plays a major role. You know, 50% plus of our business is uh, oil and gas.
1: And Aspen Tech is also a leading digitalization technology company as well. And uh, I'm curious to get into questions with you guys on some of the focuses that some of the upstream, as you said, in oil and gas has been focusing. You know, it wasn't too long ago that high-tech, all these things were things that smaller midstream companies and upstream companies really didn't have access to. It was primarily the large integrated companies, worldwide, big global companies that were able to have staff and have money to invest in this area. And now, you know, it seems as though the industry has moved in a way that they really recognize that this is something that just as important as a marketing budget is or as important as your HR department is in looking at technology that actually can predict when there are challenges ahead or how to make their companies more efficient. And that's been the whole push in the energy sector from what we see when we interview these companies over and over and over again is how much they're realizing that to not be involved in using digitalization, regardless of if they think they can afford it or not, how they cannot afford not to. And now there's this very great awareness on that they really do need to be focusing on this. And so therefore, this is why the show today is kind of important to help operators and, of course, the energy industry see how important it is to be utilizing the different technologies and that it is very affordable uh, and it is about using these technologies to actually save money and be more efficient ron and probably when we get back from break i want to really start drilling down into some of the uh, questions that we have for you guys you're listening to in the wall patch radio show and we'll be right back
6: hi this is tracy bentley the president ceo of the permian strategic partnership Improvements to road safety and infrastructure across the Permian Basin have been a priority for the Permian Strategic Partnership since our inception. Over the last several years, new pressures and increased traffic have resulted in crowded, damaged, and dangerous roadways. To fully realize the unprecedented opportunity for energy production and economic development in the Permian Basin, we must focus on building and sustaining a reliable transit infrastructure. The PSP and our Road Safety Committee are working to identify solutions for priority transportation routes and increased access to financial support for locally driven projects that enhance safety and accessibility for all residents and workers in the Permian Basin. The PSP recently committed $80,000 in grant writing support that helped secure $12.5 million in federal funding to increase capacity along 22 miles of US 285 spanning from the Texas Line to Loving, New Mexico. Construction on this project is set to begin this summer. Its completion will mean safer travel for the oil and gas industry and regional commuters alike.
4: For more information, go to permianpartnership.org. Permianpartnership.org.
0: Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, anytime for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, Call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com.
4: Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit yamahaviking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study.
1: we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. We're being joined today by Ron and Prabhu with the Wood Group and Aspen Tech. Ron, I want to have you jump in here real quick because, you know, Aspen Tech has definitely been on the show many times before. We've partnered with you guys, your company, and quite a few projects. But I really want you to explain to our listeners, what specifically is Aspen Tech working in this area pertaining to digitalization and and all the other modern technologies that are available
3: thanks Kim and thanks for having me back interestingly the way we're branding it as Aspen tech so we call it industrial AI so it's how do you apply AI so but that's exactly the challenge that the midstream mid-size uh, upstream companies have which is how do we do this the big guys have big teams of people but we need we know we need this too to survive and thrive how mm-hmm. do we do it So, well, we've been talking to a lot of upstream companies like that. What we're hearing people over the last month or two is, you know, how do we do this? We know we need to digitalize quickly. We can't have all the people in the oil field we used to have because of different reasons. As we all know, you know, proximity to each other and so forth. So what we're hearing is, and what we have working with people have calculated A a midstream company, let's say, even working in the Permian, but certainly offshore in the Gulf of Mexico or something, you can easily take, like, three to four barrels of oil equivalent uh, per day, you know, three to four dollars per barrel equivalent cost out of uh, the cost of producing oil or gas. So that gives you a lower break even. And that's really what everybody's after. And we're delighted to be able to work with Wood Group on this, because we have the leading edge technology where we're embedding AI into the tools that an upstream company can use to do this. But the challenge for a midstream company is how do we do it quickly, how do we do it effectively, and how do we get value very fast? Because we need cash flow. Right. And we need to show our investors we're making progress. So that's where we have the technology. And actually, Wood Group has been a customer of ours for decades. And I've, I've known Prabhu for a while as a customer. So now we're delighted to have a partnership. We're going to be announcing it very shortly to the world. But they have the expertise to implement, to figure out where is the value for a midstream company. How can we implement these things for you? The tools we used to use mainly on capital projects, but they can help you digitalize your operations.
1: You know, as we do show after show after show, our listeners and our followers here the uncertainty that's come as of as a result of two things, right? First, it was COVID-19. Well, first it was the oil prices crashed, and then COVID-19 was on top of it, or it followed right behind it. And now the energy sector is in a, a situation where they're just not making enough to even break even. And these type of technologies that exist are absolutely vital if they're going to survive and if they're going to make it through this rough patch, if you will. And so it's kind of good to, to see that you guys have teamed up together and are providing a real solution. And also I think there's a belief that energy is not a high-tech very savvy type of industry, and and that couldn't be further from the truth. Actually, I believe that a lot of the technology that we enjoy today is actually from the onset of oil and gas discovering things and allowing it to, for us to uh, expand off of the technology that was developed specifically for oil and gas. Because I think that there's also a lot of Investment that is put into discovering technologies that are going to allow them to unlock a more efficient way and a more greener way of being able to uh, access a resource that we all need, right, oil and gas. When we come back from break, Prabhu, I want to get on AI and something that is very well known as the digital twins. You don't want to miss that. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
7: The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy.
0: again that's 210-240-7188
1: and we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show our guest today is ron beck who is the Marketing Strategy Director for Aspen Technology, and we're also being joined by Prabhu, who is with The Wood Group. Prabhu, I have a question about AI and about digital twins. How does an operator figure out where to apply these technologies? I want you to go into first an understanding of kind of what it is, and then in a practical way, is there any way of creating value in the short-term for reasonable cost. So how would the energy sector take advantage of using AI and digital twins?
5: That's a great question, uh, Kim. Thanks for that. You know, over the last few years, you know, companies have been experimenting with a lot of different technologies and, and you know, the three main themes that have come up with the whole digitalization, you know, the, the, the use of digital twins and AI in, in operating companies is um, you know the three main areas are how do you optimize your production how do you uh, decrease the amount of maintenance you do or how do you optimize maintenance and how do you empower your workers with smart tools that make them smart workers you know uh, in in terms of can I have an expert not go offshore uh, but support a worker that on the on the platform from remote how do you do that how do you make that happen you know what are the data? Uh, set that they need to be able to uh, enable uh, that interaction. In terms of optimization, production optimization, how can I bring data from various sources together to find out what my bottlenecks are, how do I solve those bottlenecks so I can increase my production
3: mm-hmm. without
5: increasing a whole lot of costs. Um, and smart maintenance is where I don't want my things to break down. Can I find what breaks down in advance so I can take some corrective actions well in advance?
1: A predictive model. Make-
5: predictive model absolutely so we, you know these are typically you know the broad themes that people are going after with digital twins you know if I can bring all the data together uh, you know and historically companies have had data in various silos so the data that's for maintenance did not interact with the data for production and so it was really hard for verticalized teams if you will specific teams to understand the nature of the problem that's coming from the other side and what digital twins allow you to do is be able to visualize the data and bring them together from various data silos into one large data platform, if you will, mm-hmm. and then that allows you to make intelligent decisions. In terms of uh, you know how will it create value? You know it, really by taking some pilots and, and piloting these technologies out in in, in specific areas um, and helping those pilots then launch into a larger. Our uh, solution is the way
3: to go. Yeah, and um, if I might add, Kim, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, what we found in working with some of the upstream companies and looking at their break even costs to produce, uh, they're spending about a third of their costs, let's say if you're onshore in the Permian or something like that, uh, on, on maintenance and operational costs. So, if you can, and you can cut out a fair amount of that with these tools Prabhu was talking about, where you can predict, you know, Either avoid the maintenance or space out when you do the maintenance based on when something's actually going to need the maintenance and so forth. So, and then the other part of the savings is like Prabhu said, how do you optimize the production? And then the bonus is you say you like you said, most of the people out there, let's say in Texas or the rest of the United States or the world don't really think of energy as being high tech and they think about sustainability. And certainly in Texas, there's this whole sensitivity around water use and so forth. These tools then help the company optimize for uh, improving the sustainability and demonstrating to the public and the employees that they care about it.
1: That's kind of amazing because to think about uh, an operator who thinks about when the equipment goes down, it's costing them, you know, thousands of dollars every minute. And it's a huge cost, and they are dreading that, and here is the solution. But it's also, you know, when we're all overfed with data, 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 data. Data's coming at us, rather it's you're getting 100 emails and texts and phone calls, and there's just a lot going on. You're seeing commercial after commercial. You're being just consistently overwhelmed. And I think the energy sector, when you think about all the data that they're collecting, it's very they're very much in the same boat. How do you take all this information and streamline it? to where it's actually useful information, that it's not just overload. You're actually taking it and making it more efficient, which is kind of what I'm hearing you say. And with those numbers and that data, you can also show activists that uh, not only are we being more efficient, but we're actually doing it greener. Is To me, sounds like a win. Now, I want to ask, you know, people have known the Wood Group as a company – to go to for these very large capital projects, obviously because the Wood Group has been around for a long time. It has uh, a lot of knowledge. It comes with a lot of experience. But when it comes to implementation on something, how do you all simplify uh, it so that they understand it and use it efficiently? Is this technology that's easily used or is it something that requires a whole lot of of, uh, teams and staff to really understand how to use it and so therefore it's I mean, I think sometimes operators want to know how easy is this to implement into my company. So
5: you know, Wood Group, like I said, has, you know, was acquiring a lot of companies, and, and, and you know, in the 2000s. So there's a lot of, you know, surprisingly pockets of operation support knowledge in the business. We do have a large operation support services business, um, but there's also a lot of technology-focused smaller groups within the business that have all come together in the last few years during the transformation period. You know, the, the way we look at it is, you know, the the AI and all these tools have been there for a long time. It's just that they've been in the hands of specialists, right? But what's happening in the market right now is that they are being democratized, and companies like Aspen are making it easy for engineers and domain specialists to use them to solve a problem. That's the big transformation that's happening. So,
1: yeah,
5: with the ease. energy like, yeah, the the sector has been in this journey of saying, oh, I'm going to you know, no disrespect, but to to use a data scientist to solve a problem. Actually, now they're turning around saying, you know what, I don't need just a data scientist, but I actually need the engineer that gets what the problem is. Because they can say how to solve it. They may not know all the tools to solve it, but they can actually put it together uh, conceptually how to solve it. And then, you know, you can bring in data science teams to solve it. Now, you know, some of the Judy, about the software that's, that's, um, that's being, you know, uh, democratized there is where a company like Aspen has put together the data science and built it into the tool so that engineers can build these tools themselves. You know, they can build the solution themselves without relying on data scientists. And so, you know, that, that's, that's one of the great areas where we can support using our domain knowledge. We understand operations. We understand how design works and and the whole life cycle of any asset we understand it from you know uh, cradle to grave if you will that's you know that's the term to use you know we understand how it operates so we can support the right digital tools uh for, for the right problems you know and that's where a company like uh, wood comes in
3: mm-hmm.
5: you know one of the things that's happening at the design stage is also now we are understanding you know, historically, design used to progress linearly from various groups, and then you provided a set of digital tools to a client to use. The thinking has changed now. They're saying, okay, what do you need to run your operations efficiently, and how do I build it at design stage so I can give you something that's coherent, and, and, and you can make best use of it? So there, there's a lot of thinking that's changed in the design market as well, uh, Well, most companies Right. Well, I mean, everybody's thinking, how can digital tools be used at the CapEx stage, at the design stage?
1: Right. Probably you couldn't have, uh, you're hitting on, uh, you know, music to my ears because it was time for the energy industry to start moving this direction. When we get back from break, I want to talk about cost savings because that is also another hot button that we should be talking about. You're listening to in the Little Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website shalemag.com once again that's shale s h a l e mag mag.com to learn more shale is your one stop shop for growing your business pick up the phone today and call 210 240 7188 again 210 240 7188
1: And we're back. You're listening to in the old patch radio show. Our guest today, Prabhu and Ron with the Wood Group and Aspen Tech. Prabhu, before the break, we were talking about the digitalization of the sector, energy sector, and how they just, quite frankly, it's just not an option anymore. If you're not moving in this direction or you don't have it implemented, you're wasting money by not working more efficiently point blank. So let's talk about the cost savings that by applying AI to oil field equipment for, you know, asset health. Tell me, you know, where's the money going to be saved and how do uh, companies decide where they focus? If they're going to move in this direction, what should they be focusing on?
5: I touched upon the theme. The three major areas of cost savings, smart worker, smart maintenance, and production optimization. You know, these have three major themes where you know, production optimization is not necessarily cost-saving. It's an increase in revenue, potentially. But really, cost-saving comes from, can I put less people out in the, uh, in the offshore field or, or actually send them to remote locations all the time to sh- sort out my problems? And the big one is maintenance optimization. Can I do restrictive maintenance so I can make my decisions in a more optimized way rather than, you know, oh, there's a problem today. Let me go get this fixed. You know, can I make more... Uh, the smarter decisions. If I can save one day of shutdown, one day of mm-hmm. shutdown, that's a huge cost saving for me. Mm-hmm. So being able to leverage the data, apply AI techniques to it, to look at insights and understand when an equipment is going to fail uh, and how to optimize its maintenance schedule, that is a huge cost saving that that companies can avail right now. And there are great technologies like Aspen's technology out there that facilitates, um, you know, quick. Pilots and quick uh, rollout for uh, large operations.
1: Right. Well, you know, and, and I think also with them looking at budgets coming in, having to really make tough decisions, and trying to figure out where they're going to allocate resources and in what way. I feel as the upstream midstream the energy sector this just isn't there isn't a time anymore where you cannot put money towards it so if you're an executive in the upstream company and you're struggling you know to cut cost and maintain financial strength the big question is why would you move towards digitalization in the oil fields now but then there's the whole thing of well why would you not and how could you not because this is actually where Saving your company and using the the dollars your dollars the most wisest and efficient is where the, the time has arrived now more than ever. So tell me, you know, why should they not wait a year?
3: Think about it. Okay, so now you're cutting half of your production in an oil field or a gas field, and you're using the infrastructure that's there. And you can't you don't want the people in the oil field because you're you're risking them getting sick, but also it's expensive to have them in the oil field. You know, so what are your, the questions as an executive you have? I make this decision, what is that going to do to my equipment? Is it going to keep running? How long can I run it without putting the maintenance people out in the field? There's You're creating so much financial uncertainty without knowing the answers quickly. So you have to invest in the digital tools. Let me just close with one uh, really good example. It actually was a company in based in Singapore, but it applies to anybody in the Gulf of Mexico or, you know, Marcellus Shale, Permian Basin, wherever it's everywhere. Um, right, and they, in their case, they're running these so, these FPSOs, which are basically floating production systems. Uh-huh. And so it's the same thing whether you're out in North Dakota or in uh, Alaska. To put the person out in the field costs you probably three times as much as having him work in the office. So even without laying off a single person. And that's not what this is about. It's about m- making that person work more effectively and, mm-hmm. and costing the company less. So if you're working at home or in the office, can you do the same work as you were doing out in a... Absolutely. You know, out in an oil camp, okay? And the other part to it is, okay, so now do I know, you know when do I put the guy out on the platform? And, and do I put him out at the right time? And then at the rest of the time, I can have them do other work in the office to monitor the equipment instead of walking around looking at it. So what this company in Singapore did was they took three FPSOs and basically created a central monitoring site in, in the office so you could monitor all the equipment, all the equipment that typically breaks down, which in their case was injection pumps, production pumps, filters, things like that, monitor those using this AI technology so they can know, okay, 45 days from now we're going to have a problem with these two pumps. So we need to schedule a guy and now we can just schedule him for let's say a week to go out there and fix that instead of just every two weeks just come out and walk around and inspect. So the ultimate cost savings are big and your financial uncertainty is less and like you said you don't have the situation where you don't know which day something's going to break down and you're all of a sudden going to lose your revenue
1: stream. Right. So it's predictive. But it's also, you know, over the past, you know, four or five years that we've been on the air, we've had a lot of opportunity to interview a lot of great, big integrated companies, Chevrons, and then we've also interviewed executives from midstream companies, Howard Energy. And recently we interviewed Howard Energy, uh, Mike Howard. One of the things that he discussed was this COVID-19 and how it really changed everything for them, having to invest in technology so their, their staff that normally would come to an office was now having to work remotely from home. And the challenges that they went through, of course, they mastered it. But here was the point. It's another way of doing business that you kind of have to do. And we're at that moment where why are you doing things the old way? Because that's the way you've always done it is no longer an acceptable practice. It seems kind of primitive compared to when you look at you have affordable resources and technology and experts available to train and teach your staff to where you're actually ahead of the game or you're at least being more efficient and staying in the game as opposed to falling behind, and it's a more expensive way of continuing to do business. And as we interview these different executives and these different large companies and and we see that they're moving in this direction, to hear that what you guys are creating is a model that anyone can afford, these independents need to be looking at this too, it's a great thing because now we're actually going to be able to, you know, assist the independent operators now and the smaller companies to being able to be more efficient. And, of course, efficiency is important. That's what investors want to see. That's what activists want to see, that you're moving in the right direction to do things greener and more efficient. So, I mean, this has been a great show to to understand that there is the technology out there that's available to them. And I, I don't think they can wait. I think it is time for them to get on board with the digitalization uh, you know efforts and uh, this change that's happening if you will and and they need to you know start getting involved in it they need to work in this way ron and pabu thank you so much for joining us today you were very enlightening and uh, i'm sure that our listeners gained a great deal of resources from and knowledge from from what you guys are doing for the energy industry. thank you you're welcome thank
3: you
5: Thanks, Jim, and it's been a pleasure to be on the
0: show. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host Kim Bolato will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials,
6: and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.